0: Starting at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall Know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to understand this word of truth, Help us to understand everything based on the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. May your spirit of truth guide us into all the truth and sanctify us, Lord, in the name of Christ. Amen. Christ has been teaching since chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, onward and even through chapter 16, that he is going to go away. First, he's going to go away temporarily for a little while, which means three days and three nights. He's going to go away. But then he is going to go away permanently, away from the disciples, because he will ascend into heaven. He means it in both ways, depending on the passage in the specific verse, which um, means two ways in which he's going to depart from his own disciples first temporarily and then permanently depart from his disciples. Well, in his departure from the disciples, and in order to encourage them, because no one, if they have the Lord in front of him, no one wants the Lord to depart. Why would we want the Lord to depart? We don't want our friends and family to depart. We don't want our closest friends and family to depart our most intimate relationships, we don't like that. How much more, if we have the Lord of heaven among us, would we want him to depart from us? Naturally, the disciples are discouraged, they are troubled. That's why he says in 14.1, let not your heart be troubled. And he says in various ways throughout that they should depend on him and not be troubled. if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So don't be troubled, ask in my name and I will do it. 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love me and keep my commandments while I am away. Love me and keep my commandments while I am away. And don't be discouraged. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me, because I live, you shall live also. Verse 19. Yes, a time is coming when I'm going away, but that experience of grief that you will experience for three days is not insurmountable. I'm going to reappear, and I'm going to assure you that because I live, I have, have risen from the dead. One day you shall rise from the dead and I will give you ample testimony. You're going to see me. You're going to eat with me. You're going to touch me or be able to touch me. This will all happen. So this is encouragement for times of trouble. And also verse 27, encouragement. In verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. No need whatsoever to be troubled because Christ loves his disciples. He not only loves his disciples, the apostles, but he also loves us in the same way. That's why in 1416, he's assuring us that because of his close, intimate, eternal relationship with the Father, 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, he, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, also has a perfect, eternal relationship with the Father so that whatever he petitions of the Father, whatever he asks, whatever he requests of the Father, it will happen on our behalf. That's why he's saying, I will ask the Father. Imagine that. The Son of God, who has a unique relationship with the Father, asks the Father, petitions the Father, pleads with the Father on our behalf. He loves us in this way so much that he asks the Father on our behalf. And he asked the Father because he is an intercessor. He is a helper. Another. He is the first helper that they know in terms of the persons of the Trinity, the first one. And then the other helper is the Holy Spirit in our passage who is just like Christ, meaning deity of a divine nature and has the same concern as the Father. Now, what is this in this context? He's asking for the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Elsewhere, he has asked also in chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 9. He asks uh, on behalf of us. Seventeen nine. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He asks on our behalf, not on behalf of the world, that we might be one, we might believe, and we might enjoy the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in unity. 17.15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He there asks the Father not to instantly, on the moment of our conversion, to make us disappear from the world, but keep us in the world, yet keep us, protect us, guard us from Satan, the evil one. The Lord Jesus asks the Father to keep us from Satan, the evil one, so that he does not destroy us. Because as we know, first Peter five eight, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he won't devour us permanently, forever, he will not devour us, because Christ asks the Father on our behalf to be protected from Satan. In fact, Romans sixteen twenty and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We will have victory over Satan. Furthermore, in 17, chapter 17, verse 20, 1720, it says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He asks the Father, on our behalf, we who believe through the words of the apostles, we who believe in many generations later, because we believe in the words of the apostles, in what they preach in the New Testament. And as a result of the the petition of Christ, we are one. We are one of one mind and that the Father and the Son and Spirit, that they may be in us, that we might be in God. To have that kind of attachment, that kind of joining ourselves to God which lasts forever. Christ has asked the Father for this and this assurance for us to have. Moreover, he says in verse 24, verse 24, John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am in order that they May behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son loved each other. And now we enter into that loving relationship so that where Christ is, John 14, remember he said that he's going away to prepare a place for us, that where I am, there you may be also. Now also he says, That he wants us to be with him forever. Christ, he explains or petitions the Father on these matters on our behalf. This is the kind of love he has given us. So that when he says he's departing, he's not departing as though he's leaving us, as he said, like orphans. We're not being left like orphans. We have the protection, we have the love, we have the provision of our Heavenly Father, of Christ His Son, and also of the Holy Spirit. That's back to 14.16. In particular, this love of the Holy Spirit, the protection of the Holy Spirit, he says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper. Now, when he asks the Father, the Father will give to us another Helper. That's the sequence. 14.26. 14.26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 15.26. 15.26. With uh, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. fifteen twenty six to twenty seven. Further 16, 16, verse seven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if i do not go away the helper shall not come to you but if i go i will send him to you the lord jesus asks the father and the father and the son send the holy spirit who is called helper in 14 verse 16 the spirit is the helper and we see that confirmed in 14:17 That is, we're talking about, I'm talking about, the Spirit of Truth, who is also the Holy Spirit, according to 1426. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit as another Helper. This is one of the clearest places in the whole New Testament, and in, in the whole Bible, chapters 14, 15, and 16, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being three persons, distinct persons, and yet all are God. The Father, Son, and Spirit all have the nature of deity, all have a divine nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, now, 14.16, we are also told that He is another helper. Another helper. Well, who was the first helper? It was Christ. The first one was Christ, and now the Spirit is another helper. Also, in the original language, the word for another is typically, most often, the word for another of the same kind. Not another of a different kind, but another of the same kind. That's the word. So of the same kind meaning what? Just as the Son possesses a divine nature, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the Word, Christ, has a divine nature, Even here, the Holy Spirit has a divine nature, Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one God. They are of the same divinity. But also, didn't Christ care for, love his disciples? Yes. Well, here too, the Holy Spirit also has that loving desire for the disciples of Christ. He will love them. He will care for them. He will protect them. And He's going to do it forever, it says in verse 16, that He may be with you forever. So lovingly, graciously, He is called the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews 10.29 and in Zechariah 12.10. The Spirit of Grace, this gracious Holy Spirit, loving Holy Spirit, Protecting Holy Spirit is who this helper is. Now, our Bible says helper. We may render it helper, advocate, intercessor, or comforter. The old translations render this, this word comforter. This may be the best word here in this context to render this original language word, Greek word, comforter, why comforter? Because the disciples were comforted whenever Christ was with them, right? Not when he was gone from them, like those three days. He, they were comforted when he was with them. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is said to be another helper or another comforter because when Christ goes away, the Spirit will come to them and will give them the comfort and the assurance, the peace, the that they need. And in our context, they are troubled. 14, verse 1: Let not your heart be troubled. Correct? Verse 27, 1427, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So we should not be troubled or fearful, but take courage. these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So this role of the Spirit is what he primarily has in mind here, which is important to understand in this context, because this context has been misinterpreted. The comforting role of the Holy Spirit In our life. That's what he means. By this comfort. Of the spirit. This comforting work. Is a work. That has synonymously. We might say. uh, the, The role of interceding. On our behalf. Or helping us. But that help is intended. To finally bring comfort to us. He will intercede or help us. But the goal is to comfort us. That's the point he's making here. That's who the Holy Spirit is and what he does on our behalf. Romans eight. Romans eight twenty six. Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for us, and also He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit knows the will of God. He intercedes on our behalf for the will of God. And His intercession is also the intercession of Christ. Look at 8.34. 8.34, in that not only does the Spirit intercede for us, but Jesus Christ intercedes for us to ensure our faith. 8.34 8.34 of Romans. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is he who died? Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. In 1 John 2.1, 1 John 2.1, it says, little children, I am writing these things to you in order that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 2, verse 1. Jesus Christ is our advocate, our intercessor before the Father, so that if we know that and we depend on Him, we have fellowship with Him, we confess our sins, what will be the result? We are comforted with the fact that we are forgiven of our sins because we believe in Christ. His Spirit and Christ work together to comfort us, to advocate on our behalf. This is what Christ means when he says that he will give you another helper. Then, if we have this other helper or other comforter, how long will he be with us? In 14:16, John 14:16, he will remain with us forever. Not temporarily, but forever. This is an evidence of our assurance that when the Lord saves someone, he doesn't save then lose. Save, then lose. The Lord saves and He saves forever. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is that guarantee, that pledge, that assurance that we have that He remains with us and with us forever. When the Lord Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to us, it is not temporarily, not temporarily in the elect. It may be temporarily in the reprobate, like Balaam in Numbers 24.2, the Spirit of God came upon him and he took up his discourse and prophesied concerning Israel. But in his case, it was temporary. But in our case, he remains forever. Forever. Ephesians well no, first Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8:12. 8, 8:12 12. 8, 12 to 17. Romans 8:12 to 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And also, verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. If we have received the first fruits of the Spirit, what about the rest of the harvest of the Spirit? That too will be ours. And in Romans 8:12 to 17, he first tells us that if we are being led by the Spirit into conformity to the Spirit, not the flesh, that is evidence that we belong to the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us. And further, in verse 16, if the Spirit is bearing witness to our spirit, that we are children of God. That's our internal assurance that we know Him. He dwells in us and He dwells in us forever. We have assurance that we belong to Him by the, the work of the Spirit in our life, both inside of us and outside of us. Romans called it the first fruits of the Spirit. Second Corinthians will call it a pledge. He is our pledge and seal. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as... A pledge. God anointed us, well, he first established us, anointed us, sealed us, and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. A pledge is an initial payment. It is a deposit. It is a first evidence of the seriousness of the covenant or contract. So if He is given to us as a pledge, as the Apostle said in Romans 8.23, the first fruits of the Spirit, then what about the rest of it? The rest of it awaits yet future. The rest of the work of the Holy Spirit in us awaits the future. And when is that future? 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, verse 1, 5, verse 1, particularly verse 5, but we'll start at verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, And knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. The Spirit is given to us as a pledge, but the full payment, the full reward will come when? When we receive our eternal home or our body to live eternally in our eternal home. When we are fully clothed with an immortal body to live with the Lord, to be with the Lord Forever. That's the forever. That's the eternalness of what we have received. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, we who are the elect, the true believers, we will live forever. Nothing is going to break it. Nothing is going to break it permanently. Nothing is going to break it finally and permanently. Nothing will breach our relationship, eternal relationship with the Lord. Verse 17 of John 14, 14, 17. That is the spirit of truth. We've already seen from fourteen twenty six by helper. He means the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about a good spirit, a good angel. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Also, by the way, he's not talking about Muhammad, the false prophet of Islam, who Muslims say is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit from John 14, 15, and 16. He is not the Holy Spirit. That is completely absurd, completely ridiculous. It has nothing to do with Muhammad, the Arab. It has nothing to do with him. It is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, what is he called here? 1417? The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. The same in 1526. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. 1613 In 16.13, But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. The Spirit of Truth He is called. He will hear the truth, and whenever He hears the truth, He will speak the truth to us, teach the truth to us. This is similar to what Christ said in many occurrences throughout the book of John. That whatever he hears from the Father, he teaches to us. In the same way, whatever the Spirit hears from the Father, he teaches to us. He teaches to us what? The truth. This is also why in 1 John 5, 7, he is called the truth. He says, the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. Just as Christ is the truth, John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ is the truth. The Spirit is also the truth. The Spirit will not say, will not do anything that is contrary to the truth because He is truth, 1 John 5, 7. If the Spirit is truth, He will not contradict the truth of whoever God is, whatever God says. And how can we know who God is and what He says? Except from the Bible. Except from the Bible, correct? In the Bible, that's where we find the truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. That's where we find it even when we pursue the greatest commandments to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves we pursue it in truth 1 Corinthians 13:4 to 7 1 Corinthians 13:4 to 7 the pursuit of truth verse 4 love is patient love is kind and is not jealous love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Spirit of Truth gives us a love of truth to rejoice with the truth. This is what it truly means to love God, to know God, and to keep His commandments, which is the very opposite of the way we used to be and the way the world is now. John 8, 44. It is the complete opposite of the way the world is not now. John 8, 44. Shall we actually read 841 to 47? 841. You are doing the deeds of your father. This is Christ to his enemies. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God for I have not even come on my own initiative but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Those who belong to Satan... Those who belong to the devil have no truth in them. There is no truth in him. And those who belong to him, because all of us used to belong to Satan, we were sons of disobedience, we were children of wrath, we belonged to the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2 1 3. We belonged to him until we belonged to Christ until His Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, until Christ came to dwell in us. Then we had a love of the truth, because the Spirit of truth dwells in us. Otherwise, we loved lies. Otherwise, we pursued lies. Otherwise, we had nothing worthy, nothing commendable in us that God might desire. Nothing. And we couldn't hear we could not and did not hear. Now speaking of could not hear, because we did not belong to God, we were not of God, Christ continues this same train of thought in 14.17, John 14.17. The Spirit of truth dwells in us, but he says, whom the world cannot Receive. The world cannot receive. That's an absolute statement. The world. By world, he does not mean the disciples at the time, and he does not mean us, because we have received him. Correct? So, who does he mean by the world? He means the reprobate world, the wicked world, the world that will never be saved. He's not talking about the elect world. He's talking about the evil, reprobate, wicked world that will never be saved. They cannot receive the Holy Spirit. They cannot. Why? Because it does not behold Him or know Him. But you know Him. The fact that the reprobate world cannot receive the Spirit has to also relate to the word that they cannot receive. We, we just read that in John 8, 41 to 47. In eight forty three, he says, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. They can't hear it or bear it, bear it enough to receive it, to believe in it, to embrace it, to believe and repent of their sins. And they don't believe God. Verse 45 says, Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. They hate the truth so much, they don't believe him. And verse 47, He who is of God hears the words of God. If we were actually children of God, if we actually belonged to God, then when we hear the truthful words of God, we would hear them, believe them, obey them. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. We have to miraculously be believers in God, receive God in order to believe His words. In Genesis 6, verse 3, it says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever before he destroys the world in a flood, right? My spirit shall not strive, shall not have this conflict, warfare, with man. We're not going to always do that. Not always strive with man. Meaning what? In the days of Noah, the reprobate world was about to be destroyed because God... Though he had preached the truth to the people. Did not Noah preach the truth to the people? It says in 2 Peter 2.5 that he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So when Noah preached the truth of the gospel to the reprobate world, they refused to believe it. And then God says, my spirit won't strive with man forever because the spirit of truth was using the word of truth preached by Noah, but the people wouldn't take it. The people wouldn't receive it. So he destroyed the the wicked world. The same is true in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter nine verses twenty and thirty. Nehemiah chapter nine verses twenty and thirty. Nehemiah living toward the end of the Old Testament period He speaks of what happened to his predecessors, to his ancestors in the land of Israel, the Jews who had the word of Christ. Nehemiah 9.20, he says, And you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. First he gave them their spiritual food the good holy spirit to instruct them and secondly he gave them physical food manna and water to sustain them while they're listening to the spiritual food right how did the spiritual food of the holy spirit the good spirit instruct them how did that that happen practically speaking Nehemiah 9:30 says Nehemiah 9 verse 30 however you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your Spirit through your prophets. Your Spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. For many, many years, they would not receive it, would not believe it, so he punished them, finally. So how did the Holy Spirit convey the truth through the messengers of God, prophets of God, and then the people wouldn't receive it because they were of the world. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit in that way. Also, in the book of Acts, during the time of the apostles, the book of Acts, this happened to Stephen. And Stephen... Not only had it happened to him personally so that they stoned him to death, but Stephen says this is the way it has always been. Stephen too confirms this fact, that it has always been this way, that the Spirit uses the Word. The Spirit of truth uses the Word of truth to save the elect. 751, the book of Acts, chapter 7 and verse 51. 51 to 53. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. These are the ones who stoned Stephen. From verses 54 to 60, they stoned him to death. They couldn't tolerate what he just said. They couldn't tolerate, so they put him to death. Just like their fathers persecuted and killed the true prophets in the past, throughout the history of the people. They preached the truth of the Word by the Holy Spirit, and they resisted the Holy Spirit because they were of the world. They could not receive it at all. That's the same in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. Hebrews 10:26 to 31. Resistance of the Holy Spirit brings judgment, brings eternal judgment, resisting the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10:26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what it means the world cannot receive him it is impossible for the world to receive him because they are not of the elect therefore they are called the world the world of the reprobate one more place to confirm that Christ does mean the world of the reprobate 1 Corinthians chapter 2 1 Corinthians chapter 2 6 to 16 6 to 16 1 Corinthians 2:6 Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature a wisdom however not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away but we are but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God Predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them. Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ, A contrast is made here between the elect, those who are predestined to understand the wisdom of God to one's glory, verse 7, contrasted with the rulers of this age and all the rest of the people who are like them, in verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, why didn't the rulers of this age understand God's wisdom and not crucify Christ? They didn't because they weren't predestined, verse 7. They were not predestined. Those who are predestined have the Spirit reveal the truth for our salvation, verse 10. For to us... God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The Spirit revealed these truths to us so that we believed and we understand why Jesus died on the cross. But the natural man, verse 14, he is the reprobate man. He is the man who thinks the things of the Spirit who won't accept, does not accept, for they are foolishest to him. They call it foolishness, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Spiritually they are judged, therefore they cannot understand them. Cannot understand. Cannot receive. Cannot have it revealed to them. This is a reference to the Reprobate. The reprobate world cannot receive the Spirit. Then, John fourteen seventeen. he says, Because it does not behold him or know him. The world, the reprobate world, does not behold, see, or perceive him or know him. It does not perceive or know him because God is spirit John 4:24 and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth John 4:24 God is spirit and a spirit does not have flesh and bones Luke 24:39 In their case they deny the reality of the Holy Spirit partially because He is invisible. He is Spirit. But also, they don't have faith to believe in that which is invisible, that which is unseen. They don't have faith to believe in that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. They cannot please God For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 And they don't have faith like Moses had faith because Moses was believing as seeing Him who is unseen. Hebrews 11.27 So they don't perceive Him or know the Spirit because they don't have faith to believe in those invisible, immaterial, non-physical truths. They reject it. They will ridicule it. They'll laugh at it. They'll say we are crazy because we are believing in things that are unseen. But no, we are not crazy. We are not madmen. They are madmen for not believing what they should believe. They are mad, not us. Further, he says in 14:17, But you know Him. But you know Him. Because He abides with you and will be in you. He abides with you and will be in you. This verse teaches us that these disciples did know the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit did abide, live, remain, In them, he abides with you and further assures them that the Holy Spirit will be in you. The Holy Spirit will not be detached from you. The Holy Spirit will not escape you. You will always have this spirit. He may be with you forever. I have assured you by my intercession with the Father and the Spirit's intercession with the Father that the Spirit will remain in you and with you forever. He will not ever separate from you, will never disappear, will never go away, will never break the covenant that God has with you. He's assuring the disciples of that. And what is true of the disciples is also true of us, that when the Spirit resides in us, He remains in us forever he remains in us and he equips us because he is in us first that he remains in us Ephesians 1:13 and 14 Ephesians 1:13 in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit of promise was given to us as a pledge, and we were sealed in Christ. Sealed in Him. In Him you also, we were sealed. Because we heard the truth, the Spirit sealed us, the Spirit was given to us as a pledge, and He is going to abide with us, and He will be in us. Some have sought to make a distinction between these prepositions, abides with you and will be in you, as though there is some great difference. If we are to take any difference whatsoever, it may be that this is an echo a repetition of John 7:37 to 39, which anticipates the day of Pentecost. However, we don't have to necessarily take it that way. This may simply be another way that Christ and John the Apostle, who are apt to say the same thing in different ways, to assure us and to clarify to us of an essential truth. And in this case, this essential truth is that He, the Lord, Jesus, asks the Father so that we are assured that the Spirit may be with us forever. He already abides with us, but will be in us even in the future as our pledge, as our comforter, the one who grants us peace and assurance. He will be with us. He is with us and will be in us. Since the context of this passage is to focus on the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is likely the best interpretation. That He is with us and will be in us forever. So we will never be left as orphans. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. We're never left that way. The God who loves us and cares for us provides for us by his spirit. That's the point, the fundamental point he makes. Now, why would they need to know this? Why would they need to know this? Because, as we've seen already, he's been telling these disciples that the world is going to hate them. The world will not like them. They will despise them. Fifteen, eighteen. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, 15, 19, and 20, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He tells them that this is a reality. The world will hate you. I am your master. You are my slaves. If they Hated the master, they're going to hate the slaves. It will happen that way. He told them earlier in ministry, when they did possess and have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, Matthew 10, 20. Matthew 10:20. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. The Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. In our period, until the return of Christ, he tells us in Mark 13, 11. Mark thirteen eleven, And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks through us whenever... Our persecutors demand answers from us. But he also not only will provide us the word of truth at any moment, but he will also give us the joy of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. Romans 14:17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 15, 13 of Romans. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God of hope, joy, joy. Peace, an abundance of hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And First Thessalonians, one, verse six. First Thessalonians one six, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They believed the gospel word in much tribulation, but Accompanied by the joy of the Holy Spirit. And the same for us. The Spirit abides with us and will be in us forever. He is our seal, our pledge, our anointing, everything we need from now until the day of eternity. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Amen.